how do you feel okay, I guess is, is the way I would put it. How, how do you thrive in a remote environment if you don't have experience in a remote environment? You're listening to the Small Business Mastermind, a podcast created to help small businesses juggle business, finance, health, and wellness. I'm your host, Morgan Berna. The Small Business Mastermind is brought to you by Olympia Benefits, a leading provider in health and wellness spending accounts. If you're looking to reduce your health and dental costs, visit olympiabenefits.com. Hello, and thank you for tuning into this episode of the Small Business Mastermind. Before we dive into our topic for this week, I had mentioned on the last podcast episode that I would be giving a shout out to a small business that sent in some feedback about the podcast. So this shout out this week is going to a Calgary-based small business. They are called Bone App Pet Treat. I love that name. And they are a pet bakery. You can find their website. It's www.calgarypetbakery.com, or you can find them on Instagram at petbakery bakery. Thank you so much for sending in your feedback. Now on to this week's topic, we're going to be talking about remote work. Have you or members of your team been working remotely this year? StatsCan has reported that as of late March 2020, approximately 40% of Canadian workers were now working from home. However, it's now been long enough that that initial excitement I was seeing has been shifting a little bit and articles are coming out about people starting to see the downsides of remote work. That's why for this episode, I've brought on a longtime remote work professional, Teresa Douglas, who published a new book in January along with her co-authors, Holly Gordon and Mike Weber. It's called Working Remotely, Secrets to Success for Employees on Distributed Teams, and it explores the difficulties many encounter while working from home and how to improve them. On this episode, we explore in particular issues related to workspace setup, communication, and the psychological aspects of being at home. This episode has a lot of practical takeaways for both employees and business owners, and I think it's going to be a really helpful one for any of you that are new to this space or just looking for some good reminders about how to be productive and healthy while working at home. So with that, I hope you enjoy this episode. We're going to dive right in, and I'll be checking in with you again at the end of the episode. Well, welcome, Teresa. Thank you for joining us on the Small Business Mastermind. Thank you for having me. Teresa Douglas is a people and operations manager for Kaplan Test Prep. She's worked remotely since 2010, managing staff and processes across North America. Based in Vancouver, Canada, she specializes in strategic analysis and operations management. She is the co-author of Working Remotely, Secrets to Success for Employees on Distributed Teams, which was published in January of 2020. We're going to start off today. Can you tell us a little bit about your own personal remote work experience uh, when you got started and where you're at now with it? Sure. So I became remote in 2010 when my company that I'm still working for decided that we were going to become a distributed company. So I walked in one day and they said, this is what's going to happen. Um, You can stay with us or you can move on. And I I wanted to stay on. So I was a manager at that time. I had about 50 people that I managed, four full-timers, the rest part-time staff. And when I went home, I had to figure out how how do I help the people that I manage? How do I make sure that they can reach me? How do I know that they're working and that things are going well? So it was, it was a big change. And I've worked remotely ever since 
managing people. I, I analyze data in very exciting spreadsheets. I'm sure everybody thinks those are exciting too. I look at classes. I look at financials. So a, a lot of different things in my remote journey. I've moved countries in between from the United States to Canada. So I have a lot of just sort of different experiences starting and, and continuing remote, but I, I love it. I really love working remotely. That's awesome. I've also worked um, in my previous position, I'd worked remote a couple of years. And then now since COVID, I've been doing the remote thing as well. So looking forward to hearing your tips and your advice. I wanted to start off talking a little bit about the book you've written. So it's called Working Remotely, Secrets to Success for Employees on Distributed Teams. Could you tell us a bit about why you and your co-authors, Holly Gordon and Mike Weber, decided to write it and what you're hoping readers will get from this? Sure. So we wrote this book because it's the advice we wish we'd had when we started to work remotely. So Mike and I were both in management at that point. Holly was in operations and just trying to figure out how do you check in with people appropriately? How do you work with people in different time zones? How do you feel okay is, is the way I would put it. How, how do you thrive in a remote environment? You don't have experience in a remote environment. So there are more books out now about working remotely. But at the time, we couldn't really find one that spoke to the employee experience. So even if you're in management, you still have some of the same issues that, that an employee has. How do I get ahead in my career? How do I make connections? And this book really was designed to help people answer those questions and figure out how to do a good job if you're in an office of one. Fantastic. And so let's talk a bit about getting set up in our work at home situation. So how can we create a comfortable working space, you know, even if we have a limited, limited room to work with? I really empathize with that question because I've lived in some of the more expensive places in the world, New York, Los Angeles, and now Vancouver. And the way you need to think about it in a lot of these limited places is maximizing wall space and pulling out things and putting them away later. So for the longest time, when I worked in my bedroom, I had a foldable screen that I would put behind me so that my coworkers didn't see my bedroom because that's not something that I, I liked showing when I was on a professional call. And in other times, what I would do is I would set up my desk in the morning, so bring everything out from my bookshelf and put it out. And then at the end of the day, pack it all up and put it away. So thinking thinking of how to maximize your space that way, but also thinking about how comfortable you find things. So sitting at the right height so that you can type comfortably is important. Having a nice chair. So if you splurge on nothing else, having a chair that's comfortable that doesn't cause injury for me is, is the big key because you can find tables and desks and things for not that much money a chair is a little harder. So thinking about that and, and setting yourself up in a way where you enjoy where you sit. I need to look out a window. There are other people that need to stare at a wall because if they look out the window, they're not working. So thinking through those things is really helpful without having to put out a large investment ahead of time. Absolutely. And on that note, do you have any tips for minimizing distractions? Uh, lots of people have kids at home, pets, 
maybe they're looking at housework that needs to be done, things like that. So we all need to get comfortable with ignoring the housework. This is something that I've had to learn and I feel like now I'm a champ at walking over the laundry if needed. But so there's that. And then other things you can think about are how to minimize the noise that you hear. So there are noise canceling headphones. I have a pair I'm wearing right now. Um, When you're not in a meeting, it may be that you need to go a little higher in the noise canceling. I actually have a set of not headphones, but those those headphones that you wear if you're uh, outside directing airplanes that just really cancel all those noises. So that has been amazing, especially during the pandemic time for me when my kids are home now my kids are older they're not going to put weird things in their mouths so I can ignore them when they're doing other things and working on their own projects so I put those on to help I also have signs that I employ on my door that for right now example I have a sign that says stop I'm in a meeting so my children my husband understands that when that sign is up and my door is closed they have to stay out So on the other side of that, if that's something you're going to use, then you have to be really good about opening the door, taking off the sign, making it clear when it's less bad to interrupt you during your day. Because if people know that you're going to be free in about 30 minutes, usually they'll wait. Not always. Children are children. But generally they will wait. So that helps them from interrupting you, which makes it easier for you to focus. Absolutely. And do you have any tips for separating work time from home time? I liked your comment of stepping over the laundry. I've been doing that myself. (laughs) (laughs) I do. So I like packing away my things. So this may just be a holdover from when I didn't have a small dedicated space for my office, but I like to shut my laptop screen. I like to stick that in a different room from the one that I'm in all the time. So in some ways, that would be if I'm hanging out in the living room in the evening, my computer is not in the living room. It doesn't mean that I can't just go get it if I feel like I need to work. But just that little bit of friction, having to actually leave the room and go get my laptop is enough of a stop for me so that I have to think about, do I really need to answer that work email? Because I don't have those emails on my phone. I I don't bring that in. That's my own personal boundary. Other people, depending on on how they work, may not be able to do that. But for me, it's keeping things just a little harder to access. Help me step away from my desk, turn off my work and say, okay, I'm, I'm now in my home space now instead of my workspace. And it is what we would naturally do in an office. You would leave your equipment there and go home. Okay, so we're going to move now into some of the psychological aspects of working at home. So uh, for many, this is a new and novel thing. A lot, a lot of people have done this previously, but then a ton started doing this just over the last year. Um, it's been several months now, and I'm starting to see articles popping up about people experiencing the loneliness um, and starting to see some of those downsides. Do you have advice for managing that component of remote work? I do, because it it can seem counterintuitive, especially in a pandemic when you can't really go out and mix and mingle with large groups of people. But you have to find opportunities to do that in in a socially distanced, appropriate sort of way. So what I like to do is during my workday, I build in even just once a month, but generally a couple of times a month, social time. So I have planned social time. I I have on my calendar meetings with people, 
where we get together for 30 minutes to an hour and we talk about whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be work things. Some of the folks I talk to aren't necessarily working in my company. So we sit, we chat over Zoom. Uh, I have Slack groups that I also belong to and on Twitter where I will go and talk to people about social things because it may seem like a distraction from work, but if you're filling your tank with the amount of personal contact that you need, it becomes easier and more efficient to actually do your job during the times when you have to work. So if I've already uh, felt personally fulfilled because I had a, a coffee break with somebody, it's easier to focus on my job. So I, I would really encourage people to think about who you might reach out to because there are other people who are working from home that are in your same boat. They have a lot of things they have to do and it may feel like, well, I'm interrupting them. But we all need just a little bit of relaxation time. Even if you cut it down to 20 minutes and you do this a couple of times a month, it's a lot easier to feel connected, not just to people inside your company, but to the world at large at a time when a lot of us are feeling cut off from a lot of the things that we used to do. Mm-hmm. And I think in the office, a lot of people will naturally take that coffee break. So do you essentially do that, but you schedule it in with someone to do it remotely? Yes, because I, I work with people who live across time zones. Mm-hmm. My my morning is, is their afternoon and it's harder to just, you can't pop in and look around and see if they look busy. So setting things up ahead of time, you might think, well, what are we going to talk about? You're going to talk about the same things you would if you just eyeballed your coworker in their office and, and came in to talk about the latest episode of whatever it is you're both watching. So it can feel scary, but it's really important to do that. And again, it does not take very much time out of your day Mm-hmm. I think sometimes there's fear too that because the chats and things are more monitored, it looks more like you're not using your time well, but that's a good point that you need to be taking care of your own self so you can do your job. Exactly. How can we go about making genuine connections with colleagues when we aren't face-to-face? It sounds like you're doing this across time zones, across countries. Um, tips for that? Yeah, so look for any justification to make a connection. It doesn't have to be much. So I, at one point, was in a meeting, and before the meeting started, the host had us chat a little bit for about a a minute before the meeting started. Nothing big. And I heard that a coworker, for example, was going to go later that day to a field trip with their kids. I had no idea this colleague had children. I have children. So the next day, I reached out via Slack and said, hey, how did that field trip go? And they told me. And there was a connection. And then I mentioned, I also have a child that is about the age of your child. So it it was something small, but it made it easier for me to just say hi. Because that can feel weird that you're reaching out to somebody in the middle of their day and you don't know what they're doing. But really, it's just the small things. And it doesn't have to take long. It isn't a video call every single time you reach out to somebody. Or, for example, on Twitter, there are people writing very smart things there, and I'll read what they write, and I'll make a comment. And if they comment back, maybe next time they write something, I'll make another comment. And gradually, you're building up 
those connections with people that you may just not know at all. But even if you're doing it inside your company, you all share the experience of working for that company. So somebody is going to be a little bit more open if you're reaching out to them when, when you all share that experience of working for the company. Mm-hmm. And that just made me wonder, do you ever have company-wide remote events? What do you think about those? I love those. We, we do have company-wide events. So we have a couple of things. Well, we'll have the, the meetings, the quarterly meetings where we discuss how the business is doing and things related to that. But there's always some component of, of social happening. So there's the chat and people are saying good morning to each other, good evening, wherever it is they happen to be in the world. So those are the more formal events. The less formal events, we have these things we do called blackout days. And there will be TED-style talks. So some of them are educational, how to manage part-time staff remotely. And other things are just for fun. So colleagues can apply to give a 15-minute talk on anything. And recently, my, my not recently, a couple years ago, I should say, my co-author, Mike Weber, held a 15-minute TED-style talk on board games. And he, he's a big board game fan. And it was hilarious. I had no idea how much he was into board games and how fun it was. And a lot of us were having conversation around that. It was very relaxed, but it was structured relaxation, if that makes any sense. So we all had an excuse to talk to each other about something and enjoy Mike's delivery of the topic at hand. And when you have several of those together, you get to really know what makes your colleagues tick what it is they enjoy about life, and it leads to a a more friendly feeling in the company at large. Absolutely. And that is why we do things like holiday events and all that in person anyway. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to talk now about um, another topic covered a little in your book, which is communication. Uh, This is something that I think it's maybe not thought about as much initially. I've heard a lot of people recently telling me their companies either there's kind of no communication happening when they went remote or they're doing like constant meetings for like, every little thing. Um, do you have tips for keeping communication open between employees and management in a way that is manageable and not disruptive? That is so important to be manageable and not disruptive because we, we all do need to work. And even if we're talking about remote work outside of the pandemic, folks tend to be on different schedules. So you never really know when people are on and when they have to leave to attend to other things. So just on the management level, looking looking at those employee conversations and asking yourself, what is the best vehicle for this conversation? And what's the purpose of this conversation? So if you need to download a bunch of information that employees need to know, it may be that a meeting is not the best time for that. Some people learn by listening. Some people learn by reading. And in that case, you might ask yourself, can I write an email and then send an audio recording for those that may want to just hear it and send that out instead? Because there are times when that is really the most effective thing that you can do, especially if it's about policies that everybody needs to follow. That way they can look at that video, look at that audio, look at the email and say, okay, am I doing this thing right that I was told that I have to do? There are other times when you're looking for a social connection 
And we don't need a social connection every single day for everybody. Some people do. Some people need to talk to people every day. Others, they're okay if we can have a day or two of quiet. So I would say set up those opportunities and then let people self-serve. So if you're on Slack, for example, if there's a channel just for social chit-chat, then management leadership can go in on there and say, good morning, everybody. Hope you're having a great time. Hope you're having a nice day, whatever it is. Some kind of personal connection and then step back and let those that need the connection continue the conversation. I, I recently read an article where someone was, was saying that they talk to their boss now more than they talk to their partner because there were so many meetings and that's, that's really not right. So we, we need that connection, but we don't need to go overboard because not, not everything is great for a meeting. So just keep the, keep the virtual door open for those that want to talk, set up some structured one-on-one -on -one time with direct reports, and then manage the rest of it on a case-by-case -case basis on the best way to talk to your team. That just made me think too, those were really great points and it made me think maybe why so many meetings are happening. And I wonder if it's because of maybe like a trust issue or just not having a good way to see performance. Do you have any experience with that? Well, it's scary, right? I mean, you have all mm -hmm. these employees that you used to be able to look over and see them looking at their computers and frowning and typing. And now where are they and what are they doing? So it's really, it's an easy trap to fall into to say, because I can't see you, I need to send you a text message. I need to call you. I need to set you up in a video meeting to prove that you're working. When, A, those employees that you saw in the office, they may or may not have been working. Maybe they were checking their social messages. And who, you, don't, you don't actually know. The, the only way you know if somebody is actually working is if you look at the outcomes. So are people turning in their assignments on time? Are they reaching out to ask for clarifying questions on things that they're doing? So those, those are how we know that people are working. So if you're, if you're a person who is in charge of other people, it makes sense to set up processes so that you can check on your employee without always having to ask your employee. So for example, um, in my company, we have Google Docs. And if we're working on a project, we can have a shared document where we're typing in notes, we're doing our work, whatever it is. As a, as a manager, my boss, if he really needs to, can go in and take a look at what it is I've done. We also have a Trello board. I can update things there and he can look and see what, what, what has to be done. So he does not have to micromanage me. He can decide on his own when it is he wants an update on what it is I'm doing by just looking at the Trello board or the dock. So for management, set up some things so that you can have some transparency, but be very, very careful not to set up extra reports that actually take away from the work. So there's that line. We don't want to set up certain reports and processes so that people have to prove in writing that they're working, which takes away from the actual job. So when we're looking at those things, think about how can I be the least intrusive person possible and yet still have a good handle on what it is my employees are doing. Yeah, those are some great tips. The next question we're going to go into is about assumptions. And I always found 
when I used to manage a remote team, this was something I would talk about quite early on with employees. So I'm curious to get your advice. So we're working in our own space. We're not necessarily hearing people's tone when they send an email or a message. And it can be quite easy Mm -hmm. to assume that, you know, someone's frustrated when maybe they were just, they just type a different way or that you're on the the same page with a project when maybe you're not. What are your tips around, yeah, managing assumptions? So we, we should all assume that we read emails more negatively than they are. There's there's a study out there that talks about that, and I can't remember who wrote it, but I believe it was in the Harvard Business Review, that that's what we see. And if we look at an email and we think, wow, that's a little off-putting, this is the time when we have to remind ourselves we're probably reading this more negatively than it is. And also keeping in mind that our own experiences that day will decide how we're going to be reading things. So if for some reason it's a bad day for us, when we look at emails, we're going to be even more negative in our assumptions. So it's really, really important to check ourselves and say, you know, I might be reading too much into this. You may also reach out further to your colleague to see if you can just get a little more context. And this is where having made some of those connections on a personal level can really help with that. Because if you know your colleague well enough to sort of hear their voice when they're emailing you, then you're going to lower the probability that you're going to read a little too much into it. So that's that's just on assumptions and on tone. But assumptions for work, again, we have to assume that people have no idea what we're doing. And think through, well, how can my colleagues who depend on me know where I am on a project? And maybe that means in Slack, you say, hey, I'm at phase one of the three-phase project we're working on. I'm going to go and look up these other questions that I have, and I assume that I'm going to start phase two in about a week or so, so that people know where we are on something. Again, also setting up those shared documents so that people can see where you are is really, really helpful so that I don't assume that, you know, you, Morgan, are completely behind. I haven't heard from you. I'm a little worried about it. If you've reached out to me and say, ah, you're going to hear from me in about three days, then that's something I can check off my list. And keeping in mind that we have to do that for each other is to give that, give that little bit of feedback on where we are on things. Yeah. It sounds like project planning is just an extremely important component. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Something you'd mentioned to me um, in our call before this interview was that when we work remote, we can have a tendency to see our colleagues as villains. I'm wondering if you could expand a bit on what you meant by that and what we can do about this. Yeah, it's a funny thing. If you can't see somebody and there you are trying to work on something, there's just this cascade of assumptions that can happen, right? You may have thought that you told your colleague, this is where I am in a project, and here they are sending an email And oh my goodness, they copied your boss on the email and you think, what are they doing? Are they, are they throwing me under the bus? Are they trying to get me fired because they've sent this email? And it's so easy. It is so easy to think that because we're stuck in our little bubble where we're in our office and it's clear to us what it is we're doing and why it is that our colleague is unreasonable, but it's not clear to them. And we have to take a moment and just put ourselves in that other person's shoes and say, 
all right, that seemed like it was a little, it was a little off base. What if I'm wrong? What, what does that look like? And when we're tired, when we're hungry, it is really hard to do that. That's why it's really important sometimes when we read those emails to just get up and leave your office for a minute. Even just walking around the inside of your house can sometimes help you get a little bit of perspective on why that person maybe isn't Darth Vader and reach out on a more human level. Now, if they've sent an email and it seems stiff and formal, maybe they're not really good at email. Maybe they're somebody who likes to come to somebody's desk and just have a conversation. And if that's the case, that's the time to reach out on instant message and ask, hey, can we just jump in a call and, and hash this out a little bit? And then you get a sense of the tone of voice that the person's using when they talk to you that can give you a lot better instinct on where they are. So it may be that they were a little short because their kid has been interrupting them every two minutes for the past three hours and they needed to send that email really fast or it was never going to get out. And if you get into that video call or on that audio call, it, it doesn't matter, and you can hear that they're stressed out about other things, then you can be a little more forgiving. So most of these problems in communication are people issues. And the more that we can sort of regulate ourselves and, and approach e each of these conversations with sort of an open mind, then the better we're going to get on with people and the fewer and more far between these issues are going to be. Mm -hmm. Sounds like we're, we can have a tendency to be projecting our own stress or just our own mood. I've seen the, the jokes that go around online that's like, I'm going to add an exclamation point to this email so you know I'm not angry. <laughs> <laughs> Emojis. They, yeah. Who knew, right, that those were going to be a, a part of our professional lives? Absolutely. I think, too, there's a little bit of a generational gap with how we converse online as well. Um, mm -hmm. Is that something you have to you deal with or you notice? I noticed that. I... I have for the past, gosh, uh, 12 years, managed people who are at least a decade younger than me. And I have the leadership, obviously, in many companies is somewhere between my age and a decade or two older than me. And it's important to understand that if you're texting people who are in their 20s or early 30s, if you're using periods, that sometimes that makes things seem more negative to that group. So it can be very cultural speaking, or all caps is yelling. I think most of us get that. But it, and if you're talking to somebody who is older, and these are all stereotypes, so that means not all of them are true for everybody. But it may be that a little more formal, full sentences <laughs> goes across a little bit better. So keeping that stuff in mind, and again, you don't have to know all of that, but you have to be open to the idea that if you're if people are communicating with you and they seem stiff, that it may be that you're committing a, a generational or cultural faux pas that you're not aware of. So very, very important to, to check on that and see if, if that's where the problem may be, that you're just putting your foot in it. Those are great tips to keep in mind. Um, the last question I had for you was around HR issues. So for someone that's newer to working remote, we're, we're used to going in in person to talk about things like maybe needing to take a leave, questions about salary, um, or larger problems. Do you have advice for 
approaching those types of topics? Yes. Yeah, so there are two sides to that, right? There, there's the, the leadership management side, and then there's the employee side. And just putting on that, that management hat, we have to think about making sure that our employees are already somewhat acquainted with these folks before they have issues. So someone may have to take an unexpected leave. Do they know the name of the person they have to talk to about that? So as, as a remote manager, my first introduction to HR was when, first when I onboarded and then not really anything until I had to uh, fire an employee. And that's a nerve wracking thing where I'm sitting there in, in the call with the HR representative with me and we're having this conversation with a person who was going to be terminated. And it was really nice of the HR person to meet with me ahead of time so that we could discuss next steps and how to do this appropriately for where the employee lived, but also just to meet a little bit as a person because we're going to approach this difficult conversation. And it was good to have a little bit of, of knowledge of who this person was. So if there are times when in your company you can make sure your employees know the, the face and the name of the person they may need to talk to about leave or resigning or really anything, then, then that's going to make it a little bit easier for them to use the appropriate channels. So that's on the manager side. On, on the employee side, remember that a lot of HR professionals are very, very busy with a lot of different things that happen in a company. So reaching out to them to talk about leave, to talk about whatever it is that you need to talk about, I, I would offer them a series of, of methods of communication with you. So yes, it's nice to do things in person. Yes, it would be great if you could get on a video call and talk through this, but also leave open the idea that you may just have to do some of this in email, which can feel, feel very crazy when you don't want to write a lot of things in writing, especially if, say, you have a sick relative and you just don't want to put that out there. But at least offer that as, as an option. Because, again, you're, you're dealing with a human. It's just a different mode of conversation. So giving them that option, but being willing to get into a video call or on the phone and just talk through things is really important. Mm -hmm. So allowing some flexibility and still, yes. still treating each other like humans at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. it, it really boils down to that in remote work. We're all, we're all human, and we need to express that. Yeah, and especially right now, lots of people are going through all these challenges, and it's great to see resources like your book out there to help guide people through this. Yeah, anything I can do to, to help, that's, that's what I like to do. <laughs> well, thank you, Teresa. Those are all the questions I have for you. I was wondering if there's anything uh, you wanted to add or if you feel like we've covered it all. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing that I would add is that so much of the success and failure of remote work happens in, in our minds. So it, it isn't just about setting up your computer and having the internet connection, which is something important and, and we need. But if we're really going to thrive as people who are working remotely, whether we're working remotely by choice or because of current personal circumstances, if we, if we take the time to understand our own emotional intelligence and where we may need to work on things and where our strengths are, 
and project empathy as well as professionalism into our companies, that's going to carry both you and your business through any inevitable missteps that you may make in this new environment for many people so that you can all learn together and really thrive in this medium. I love that. That's a great way to look at it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Teresa, and sharing all this great information. Thanks for having me. Did you want to share quickly, I'm going to put all this in the description, but do you have a website you'd like people to go to if they want to reach out to you or any contact info? They can reach me at TeresaMDouglas.com and I'm also on Twitter at, at TeresaMDouglas. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Small Business Mastermind. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to subscribe to the podcast, visit olympiabenefits.com slash podcast. And if you're listening to the podcast on a platform that supports rating and reviews, please consider leaving one. It really helps us get the podcast out there and continue to bring on fantastic guests like Teresa. I appreciate you tuning in today. I hope you got a lot out of this episode and I'll be talking to you again very soon.